welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. Well, as you well know, Christmas is a time of gift giving. And most of us can recall some of the more notable gifts that we have received over the years. Some of those gifts we remember because they were so good. And maybe some of them we also remember because they were so bad. Hopefully not too many of those. But maybe there are also a gift or two that you really remember over the years because of how funny they were. Just like a few of these people. How about this one? Take a look at this picture. This is the caption for this picture. My brother told my grandma jokingly that he wanted a hundred things from the dollar store for Christmas. Now, my grandma does not like to be challenged, so this is what he got. (laughs) Or how about this one? The caption for this one is, this is what happens when you put me in charge of buying mom's Christmas gift. Now, look at the label there. There's all the siblings, right? And it says, Rachel is my favorite. It's tr- I'm truly blessed to be her mom. <laughs> so somebody's mom's got that candle. But this is my favorite, the last one here. And it's, a, it's a Twitter post, and uh, notice what it says. It's uh, written from the, the boy's brother. It says, my parents always gave our elementary school teachers presents around Christmas, typically something like a small candle or flowers that say thank you. This year, they got them bottles of wine and replaced the labels with their own that had my brother's picture on them. And notice what it says. Our child may be the reason you drink. <laughs> So enjoy this bottle on us. <laughs> Notable gifts, right? We've all received maybe some funny gifts. We've all received some bad gifts. Hopefully we've all received some great gifts. Tonight we're going to talk about the greatest gift ever given. Well, this year at Orchard, our series of message for the Christmas season has been It's a Wonderful Life. And of course, that title is taken from the classic film of the same name, which is a favorite this time of year. It's about a man named George Bailey who lives in a little town called Bedford Falls. And he has big dreams, dreams to go out and see the world. And those dreams don't come about. His father dies suddenly and ends up settling in Bedford Falls. And he ends up running the family business there. And and it's an okay life. It's a good life, but it's not the wonderful life that he had imagined. And so he also always kind of wondered, well, what if, you know? Well, as the story moves on, a few years later on Christmas Eve, George runs into some real trouble. The business that he operates is going to fail. Uh, he may go to jail because of a mistake his uncle made with some of the money from the business. And George is distraught. He runs around. He tries to fix it. He just can't do it. He finally ends up getting drunk. And in a desperate moment, he prays for God's help. Then he continues to kind of spiral out of control and he decides that he's going to end it all. He goes to a bridge in the dead of winter and he's ready to throw himself into the icy water when suddenly something happens. God had heard his prayer and God had dispatched an angel, a novice angel now, to help him. And this novice angel didn't know what to do, so he just jumped into the water. And George jumped in and saved him. But even then, George still was distraught, and he wished that he'd never been born. And this is the key part of the story. So this angel allows George to see what life would have been like if he had never been born. And what he finds is that it's not a good picture. And what he realizes as he sees this picture is that he's been focused on the wrong things. 
And what he realizes is that he already had a pretty wonderful life filled with love and family and friends and a wonderful community who at the end rescues him right at the end of the film. So we've touched on the fact as we've talked about this story that it's a wonderful life. I believe it's such a favorite because it's a story of of hope and struggle that we can all really identify with. And also because it points to this truth about us, a hard truth of how easy it is for us to get focused on the wrong things in this life. Things that we think will lead to a wonderful life, maybe not even bad things, maybe good things, but we think they will lead us to a wonderful life. But in the end, they can't quite deliver. Well, the Christmas story is a similar kind of story in a way. It's a story of struggle and of hope, but ultimately, it's a greater story. It's one that calls us to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus and the gifts he brings that do not disappoint. And if we can do that, if we can really focus on Jesus and give our hearts to him, we can have not a perfect life, but a pretty wonderful life of faith with him. So each week here at Orchard, we've been focusing on that greater story of Christmas, each piece of it. We started with Mary and the gift of hope. We looked at the shepherds and the gift of peace and Joseph and the gift of love. And tonight we're going to focus on the most important part of this greater story, the story of Christmas. And that's the birth of Jesus, the greatest gift ever given. So friends, pray with me and we'll get started. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray that tonight on this night of nights that you would be with each one of us in the still and the quiet of our hearts in a special way. And we pray, Lord, that as you appear within us, that you would appear with power, that you would touch us, that we would feel something, that we would know something more in this moment tonight than we know when we came. Your presence, your hope, your peace in a new way, in a deeper way, maybe for the first time. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So our first scripture for tonight is just one verse, and it is, in fact, the most famous verse in the entire Bible. And if you've ever watched a football game, you know it because there's that guy in the yellow wig behind the goalposts with the John 3.16 sign, if he's still around. So this is John 3.16, and it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but should have eternal life. And I want to really focus on one word here just for a moment from the most famous verse in the Bible. And it's that word gave. For God so gave his one and only son. The fact that God gave Jesus means that when we say that Jesus is a gift, that's not a metaphor. That's not just nice churchy words. That's literal truth. God gave Jesus to us as a gift. And the question that we might ask is, well, why? And the reason is this, it says, because God so loved the world. And I want us to be really clear there. The point here is not that God loved the planet. God certainly cares for the planet. But the point here is that God so loved the people of the world. God loves us. God loves you. And I hope you know that. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because the best gifts are always given from love, aren't they? All right, with that in mind, I want to move on to our main passage for tonight, our main uh, scripture, the one that Jeremy read earlier, the story of the very first Christmas 
from the Gospel of Luke, the story of God giving us the gift of Jesus. And as that story begins in verses 1 and 2, we're told uh, of the news that just before Jesus was born, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, called for there to be a census taken of all the people in the world. And so because of this, verse 3 says that everybody needed to return to their hometown to be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world, the leader of the Roman Empire, and he wanted a census for two reasons. One was he wanted the money that he was going to be able to get from the taxes he would be able to impose from the census. And he was also interested in how many men the census would identify that he could conscript into the army. So those were the the gifts. Those were the things that Caesar Augustus was focused on that he believed would lead him to a wonderful life. That was his agenda. But with verses 4 and 5, we begin to see God's agenda unfold. Luke says that Mary and Joseph Joseph, who were pledged to be married, left Nazareth. That's the place where they were living. And they set out for Bethlehem because that's where Joseph was from. Now, I'm sure that he didn't want to make a long trip when his wife was expecting. And try to imagine that conversation for a moment. Joseph says, Mary, I know you're nine months pregnant, but guess what? You get to take an 80-mile ride on a donkey. Good, Good times, right? But Joseph didn't have any choice. He had to go, and apparently they decided that Mary would go along with him. Makes sense. They would want to be together when their baby was born. Now, we're told that here that Joseph was a descendant of the great King David and that he was from Bethlehem as well. And this is important because hundreds of years before this, the prophets had said that one day the Messiah would be born, this special person that God was going to one day send, and this special person would do some important things. He would restore the faith of the people. He would lead them closer to the heart of God than they'd ever been. He would deliver them and he would initiate God's kingdom here on earth. These are all things that the Messiah would would do. And with this, this leads us to a second group of people and the gifts that they longed for. You see, for hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been waiting for that Messiah to appear. They were waiting to receive that gift from God. Only there was a problem. The problem was that they had focused on a really earthly idea of what the Messiah was going to be. You know, they they appreciated that he would be a faithful man, but when they heard that he would deliver them, they thought, oh, well, that means he's going to deliver us from the Romans who were occupying their country, not that he was going to deliver us from sin, which is what Jesus did. When they heard that he would initiate God's kingdom, they thought, well, he's going to restore the glory of Israel. Not that he would bring God's spiritual kingdom here on earth, which is what Jesus actually did. And so that's the Messiah that they wanted. That's the gift that they were after, that they thought would lead them to a wonderful life. But that's not the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. So they rejected him. Caesar Augustus was after what he was after. The Jewish people were after what they were after. But with verse 6, we find that while Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And verse 7 says that when Jesus was born, they placed him in a manger, which is a feeding trough for an animal. And that's what makes it clear that Jesus was born in a stable. 
The reason we're told is that there was no guest room available for them. Now, I know the traditional translation is there's no room for them in the inn. But the word that Luke uses here in the Greek, is, it's not the typical word for inn. And he does use that typical word in other places. So he's using this word for a reason. It's most likely because he's not referring to a, a hotel kind of inn. He's referring to the kind of guest room that most um, ancient Near Eastern homes had in that time. And so what probably happened is that Joseph went to the home of his family there in Bethlehem and looked to stay in the guest room, but found that the guest room was already taken because if he had to return for the census, so did the rest of the family. But there's a kicker in here that sometimes we might miss. And, and here's the kicker. It's this, that, that the guest room, it wasn't a matter of first come, first serve. Israel was an honor-shame society. It was all about status, and whoever in the family had the highest status got the room. Now, that's hard for us to understand, right? Who would turn away a pregnant woman about to give birth um, for somebody else? But this was a different time and a place, and they had a different sensibility about it. So if they couldn't get the room, it just meant that someone of higher standing in the family already had it. And so that brings us to realizing another thing, that here, even Jesus' own family, his own extended family, they were out seeking after the things that, that they wanted, the, the, the gifts of this world that they thought were going to bring them a wonderful life, and they missed what God was doing, in their case, right in their own home, or stable as it were. They missed the amazing thing that God was doing that night, giving the greatest gift that was ever given. So, this is how it was that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the greatest gift ever given was born in a, man, was born in a stable and placed in a manger, it was a humble birth. It was actually kind of a lowly birth. It was a birth, really, you could say, in poverty. There was no fanfare. There were no whistles and bells to this. In fact, verse 7 says that Mary wrapped the baby in cloths herself, meaning there wasn't a midwife or someone else to do that for her. She gave birth, and then she got up and wrapped the baby up. They were all alone. They were alone because most of the people in the world had missed the gift that God was giving. They missed what it was that God was doing. They were pursuing other gifts, other things that they believed would bring the wonderful life that they so imagined that they would one day have. But you know, as the story continues, one of the things we find is not everybody missed it. In fact, God made sure of that. If you look at verses 8 and 9, Luke explains that angels appeared to some shepherds that night who were tending their flocks. And in, in verses 10 and 11, the angels speak a word to the, the shepherds, and they say, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a, a Savior is born uh, who has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. So the angel was clear. You'll notice that Jesus was no ordinary baby. He calls him Savior. He calls him Lord. He was the one that the prophets had spoken about. He was the Messiah. In fact, the prophet Isaiah had a name for the Messiah. It said the Messiah would be called Emmanuel. We saw that when we looked at Matthew's part of the story. And Emmanuel means God with us. And that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. God with us. God literally touching this world 
so that we wouldn't miss him, so that we wouldn't miss his message of love. Now, another interesting thing is that in that time and place, shepherds were considered lowly, lowly people. They were the bottom rung of society. I know we don't think that, we just think shepherds are kind of cool, you know, but they were really looked down on. And so it's kind of a fascinating thing that it was to shepherds that God announced the birth of his son first, not to the king, not to the emperor, not to the mayor, not to the high priest, but to some lowly shepherds. And what was God trying to do that? I think that God wanted to make it clear that Jesus is for everyone. And what better way to make that message clear than by proclaiming his birth, first of all, to some lowly shepherds out in the field. And so with verses 15 and 16, the shepherds, they go looking for Jesus and they found him just as the angels had said, lying in a manger. And verses 17 through 19 says that they told Mary and Joseph about the angels and they told anyone who would listen. (laughs) They were pretty excited. And it says everyone was amazed at what they heard. But then we come to the last line of the story. And I think this is really important. Verse 20, it says, Um, that as they went home, they were glorifying and praising God. That moment had been a powerful spiritual moment for them, meeting the baby Jesus at the manger, and it had left them glorifying and praising God. The gift that God had given didn't fail to deliver because even though that first Christmas didn't have whistles and bells and ribbons and bows and didn't have all of the gifts of the world that the people in that time were looking for and the gifts that so many of the people of today are looking for, it, that, that Christmas delivered. It was powerful. It was spiritual. It was deep. And I believe that that's what God wants for us this night. He wants a powerful spiritual moment for us with Jesus. And I believe that what that means for us is that we need to look past the presence and the trees. All that stuff's good. And we even need to look past all the things that we want and all the things that we think that we need that will make life just the way that it ought to be so that it'll be just right. And if we can do that, if we can look past all of those things, I think we'll see that there's something there that we truly need. Jesus. You know, in It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey had been focused on all these other things that he thought would have led to a wonderful life. And it was suddenly in the end that he realized he'd been focused on the wrong things. He had this epiphany at the end. It's really fascinating. At the end of the movie, before he gets saved, before they rescue him, they bail him out, they give him all this money that he needs to pay back this loan. But before that even happens, he's elated. He's running, he's kissing his wife and his kids because suddenly he realized, I've got a great life. I've, I've missed it. I've been focusing on all this other stuff that I thought I needed. And I think the same thing happens to us spiritually. We think, I needed the money, I needed this, I needed that. All that stuff may be okay. But there's something more important than that that we're talking about tonight. And that's the call of Christmas for us to see that there is indeed something better than the things that we tend to focus on so much in this life. It's Jesus. See, the message of Christmas is that God has not forgotten you. 
The message of Christmas is that God loves you and he wants you. So much so that he literally came to this world in the person of Jesus in person to make sure that we, the human race, would not miss the fact that God is alive and real and loves us. That's the greatest gift ever given. You know, one time Frank Capra, who's the, uh, the director of It's a Wonderful Life, one time they, somebody asked him years ago what he thought the main theme of the movie was, and he said this. It's kind of an interesting thing. He said, I believe the real message of It's a Wonderful Life is this, that under the sun, nothing is insignificant to God. Nothing is insignificant to God. And the, in the article I read this in, the author says, so if you go back and watch the movie and you know that that's what the main theme is, you can see that that's really true, that everything that everybody does is important because it has an effect on something else. And it kind of comes to this point where he says, nothing is insignificant under the sun, and maybe you need to be reminded of that. That you are important to God. But there's a problem. And that problem is this, that God calls us to live a good and a right life. And the reality is that try as we might, we just can't do it. Sure, we do some good stuff here and there, but we fall short, we mess up, we hurt ourselves, we hurt others, we sin. And we have no way to fix most of it, and we have no way to make up for any of it. We like to think that the good we do cancels out the bad we do, but that really doesn't even make sense. How can me giving to the poor over here somehow cancel out the fact that I lied and hurt this person over there? They're, they're unrelated things, and so the reality of the situation is that we're stuck. We do wrong. We have no way to put it right, and that's why Jesus was born. Jesus is God's incredible plan to put right the wrong of our lives. So this is how it worked. Jesus came and he lived this life. He lived your life. He lived my life. Only he lived the good and right life that we are supposed to live and we don't. And then Jesus took that good and right life of his and he offered it to God on the cross in the place of your life, in place of my life. And when he did that, he put right the wrong of our sin and he brought us grace. He brought us forgiveness so that we could be at peace with God. So Jesus did this for you, for me, because he loves us. Pastor Max Lucado writes this. He says, there are many reasons God saves you, to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a long time. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he listens. He can, you can live anywhere in the universe um, he could live anywhere in the universe, and where does he want to live? In your heart. And the Christmas gift that he sent you in Bethlehem, let's face it, friends, he's crazy about you. That's the message of Christmas, my friends. So at that first Christmas, it wasn't filled with ribbons and bows or the gifts of this world that we are so often focused on. Instead, it came simply with a baby, Jesus, born in humility, 
a man who came with the genuine love of God. And throughout his life, all that Jesus did was simply call people to listen to his message about who God was and to think about who he was. And I think that God knew that we would only listen to a humble guy born in a stable if we really believed that what he had to say was true. And what did Jesus have to say? He had to say this message that God loves you, that God forgives you, that God wants every single one of us. And what that would make clear is that Jesus was no ordinary man, that he was the son of God, that he was the greatest gift ever given. So what now? Well, I think it comes down to faith. And I want to call every one of us, every single one of us, to take a step of faith tonight. And if you're thinking, not me, yeah, you especially. I want to call every single person to take a leap of faith. And maybe that's putting your trust in Jesus for the very first time if you've never done that. Or maybe for you it's just stepping out in faith a little further than you ever have before and embracing Jesus just a little more deeply than you ever have before. Because if we do this, if we step out in faith and seek God's will for us, that we become something more than we've ever imagined that we could be, something better than we've ever imagined we, will, we could be, we can have not a perfect life, but a pretty wonderful life with him. Amen and Merry Christmas. Well, at this time in our service, we're going to move to what we call the service of lights. And I want to read to you one more time the words of the Gospel of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Nothing Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as we light our candles tonight, the symbol is that Jesus is born, that Jesus, the light of the world, is coming into the world this night. Pass the light. <laughs>